You're listening to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast, brought to you by Phil Better Inc. If you want to take your podcast to the next level, make sure you book your free 15-minute call with Phil Better, the podcast mogul, at www.philbetterinc.com. Welcome to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I am, of course, your host with the most Phil Better, and today I have a special guest. I have Travis, the nonprofit architect. So if you're ever thinking about starting a nonprofit, if you have a nonprofit, this is the guy you want to speak to because he are, he's created, if I'm not mistaken, already like six or helped mm-hmm. over helped six company uh, nonprofits grow into profitable nonprofits, I guess, if you will. <laughs> um, Travis, how about you introduce yourself since I can't really do a better job than uh, you yourself can do? Hey, thanks a lot, Phil. Appreciate you having me on the show today. Yes, I do host the Nonprofit Architect podcast, helping you build a stronger nonprofit. We interview nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, and people with the special skills to help nonprofits do it better. Um, huge passion for nonprofits. Check out my website. It's there in the link below, nonprofitarchitect.org. We also have kind of a hub of information we've been creating. We've got the Nonprofit Podcast Network, where we've got a dozen other nonprofit-hosted shows because it's not about me. It's about you and helping you build something better. And sometimes I'm not everyone's flavor, or they like me, and they want to know uh, who else doesn't like me. And I've got a, you know, a dozen great shows out there to help build on the things that I talk about all the time, which is really how to fully fund your nonprofit without doing any more fundraisers, which is wonderful. I love that. I love that idea because fundraisers take so much time and effort going (laughs) and sometimes the effort explodes and the return is minimal. So having done a few uh, fundraising events myself for a -hmm. a good family charity that I do called the Aina Gilman Fund, um, I understand how fundraising can get tiresome. So I'm glad I have you on and we can pick your brain about some of the best uh, ways about getting some profit for the nonprofit other than uh, fundraising. I'm going to get my, my phone out here to make my, make sure I get my list up because I know you're going to ask me questions about it and I don't want to be like, uh, what's that stupid list say that I wrote out that has all my answers on it. <laughs> yeah. So people don't know, I do a pre-interview questionnaire just to help guide the interview so that uh, everybody knows what's going on. And I like some of the answers you gave uh, one, which is really interesting and we'll get to it's part of your earlier (laughs) life but i'm really interested in this one because it's doesn't really go with what most of my other uh entrepreneurs have said so before we jump into everything when did you start becoming an entrepreneur like what was your first inkling to be an entrepreneur well really i I didn't know what it was i didn't know what that feeling was it was just like there's got to be a better way to do the thing out here as far as i can tell most entrepreneurs they come across something that really gets them frustrated. I'm like, why are we doing it this stupid way? Like, this is the way we're doing things, like, because it's easiest for you. And, uh, you know, I, I always had this desire to help people. I had tons of help in my world growing up, and I wanted to give back when I finally got to a place where I could give back. I wasn't in that scarcity, that survival mode. And I started, uh, you know, found the holy saint of eliminating debt, Dave Ramsey, and started paying off our debt. And we're helping other people do it. We did such a great job. We helped 400 families pay off $6 million in debt. And someone was like, well, if you're providing that much value, shouldn't you be getting paid? And I was like, that's an excellent point. Uh, (laughs) Maybe we should be getting paid. But 
you know, growing up uh, on my dad's side, we come from 26 generations of farmers and really his generation and uh, his his uh, previous generation uh, were the first to serve in the military other than just being farmers. And on my mom's side, it's just a, a crapshoot. Like I've got no idea what most people have <laughs> done, but no one had been to college and no one had run their own business or opened that up really other than you know, working restaurants and retail really wasn't a whole lot of experience there. I just always thought and saw things in a different way. And I'm like, why is this the way we're doing it? And I wanted to explore that. So really has been quite the journey over the last 15 or so years of doing this, but, you know, having a lot of fun doing it anyway. That, that's awesome. I love it because I come from the same world. I'm not an entrepreneur by nature. I have no pretty much entrepreneurs in my family tree. It's all nine to fivers or, you know, ex-military due to the Second World War. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's weird when you're trying to jump into the entrepreneurial world. You have nowhere to go if you have no yeah. like no family member that does, has done it that can go. No, here, follow. I'll, I'll show you the way. like this is how you do it and Mm -hmm. i think right now this is one why i started this podcast i wanted to learn how to become an entrepreneur and best way is like we said beforehand master class podcast is a master class you get to have with entrepreneurs so it's it just genius to start asking entrepreneurs how did you become an entrepreneur and uh, so and it's it's similar to what you've said like most of them either found this passion and they're like i need to fix this because it's not right Mm -hmm. or they just fell into it because one day kind of like you 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 seem to have fallen into it by helping these families and then someone was like shouldn't you get paid for that and then you're like you know that's a smart idea (laughs) yeah it's crazy because although it was a great idea i I quickly found out that i was not interested the people i was helping i was not interested in getting any of their money Mm -hmm. um at all and i had been doing some nonprofit work uh, we helped, you know, start a few nonprofits and I was on the board of two nonprofits and we were doing things a little bit differently. And then I got stationed over in the kingdom of Bahrain, which is this lovely looking dagger back here. It's a shape of an island. I, it's in I the Middle East. I want to ask you about it because I was like, <laughs> I see some like, like that doesn't look like a state. <laughs> these are all, like, these are all props. Like this is here so I can point at this stuff yeah. and, you know, all these things. Just like Mickey right here is a prop. He's a specific oh, yeah. prop. Uh, and James yeah. Bond, yep. you know, props. But I, I got out, out there and, um, you know, it's a small island in the Middle East. And depending on, you know, looking for productive things to do, things that aren't going to get you in trouble and me being in the military, uh, making sure I, I stay myself out of, out of trouble is is high on my list. And um, people are like, why don't you do something like start a podcast and just talk about all the fun stuff that you like talking about? And I was like, that's a great idea. And I went out and I looked at all the nonprofit type podcasts out there. And a lot of them were kind of like highlight shows or talking a little bit about the industry. But I didn't get the the idea that a lot of people were giving like away the how to. Like, how do I do the, the, the thing? Like fundraising is a big, big pain. And like, how do I do it? How do I get money coming? How do I do it better? Oh, like what, what is going on in the industry that no one knows about and who's willing to share their story or share their struggle or whatever have you. And uh, I started doing interviews. And the best thing you mentioned is like giving up your own private masterclass. Everyone that I interview, I get a little bit smarter. And then so when I do my next show, I sound smarter. <laughs> and my credibility, you know what I mean? My credibility goes up. And I've learned all these great things, all these 
tips and tricks. And really the thing that I've gravitated to is, is doing it differently because like the, the, the nonprofit fundraising world, they haven't really changed a whole lot in the last, I don't know, 50 years or more. Mm-hmm. They still do galas or they do capital campaigns or, you know, just, just fill in the blank. They do a raffle and you're like, this has got to be a better way to do this. You spend, you want, you get into nonprofit work, not to, not to fundraise and do admin stuff, but you get in there to help make an impact for a certain population. So how do you, uh, people come to me all the time asking like how to do this and how to get it started in the right way. And, you know, you end up kind of funneling them in different ways because no one ever comes to me and I'm like, yep, start a nonprofit. <laughs> Good luck. Cause I don't think. Well, I don't think that's the right answer. You know, if, if someone comes to me, uh, you know, especially a lot of people in the veteran world, they're like, I really want to help and I want to make a difference. Cool. Who's doing what you're already doing? Where can you go pitch in at? Where can you, who's taking people on the adventures or going to the shooting range or jumping out of airplanes or, you know, getting around the campfire and sharing, like who's doing that? You don't have to start your own organization to make that kind of impact. And if that's what you want to do and that's where your skills lie, then it might not be in the admin part of it, you know, running a board, you know, verifying IRS compliance. It might not be in the fundraising world and the and the seemingly endless amount of fundraising cycles, uh, which is why I really focus on how to fully fund your nonprofit with monthly recurring donations or different revenue streams. So you're not focusing all this time on fundraising. No, that, that is important because if you only focus on that one stream of income, like we all have learned, you'll never grow. Like I think 2020 mm-hmm. showed us, showed the world that having one stream, you know, no, no side hustles or, you know, extra little revenue streams uh, could be very painful and you may get screwed. So I, <laughs> I love how it is also showing in the, uh, you're showing it in the nonprofit world that, hey, we can have multiple streams getting that money in that can cover the cost mm-hmm. of this. Well, mm-hmm. all the funds raised can go straight to helping uh, the people that we are trying to help. Oh, absolutely. And in the business world, these are things that have been around forever. And the trick is really figuring out how to apply it to the nonprofit world and, you know, not have them, you know, uh, burn you at the stake or run you off with pitchforks and torches because you're like the heretic in town. Like you can't do it that way. We have this, this thing that says we have to be in pain. We have to be agonizing as we're experiencing the joy of the nonprofit world, which is just straight garbage. My, my buddy Jeff would say it's, it's hot dog water. It's no good. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I like that hot dog water. I like that. It's, it's, it's hot dog water. It's, I don't know where this this came from. I know Dan Pilata did a speech, he did a TEDx speech talking about uh, fundraising and money going into nonprofits and how we feel about it. And I was like, what's the appropriate amount of money for someone to make that's in a nonprofit? Should they only make $25,000 a year? Well, $25,000 a year is what, uh, $11.50 an hour? You know, is that is that okay? Someone still has aspirations. They still have a family to take care of. And then how do you get good people involved if you can't pay them because it goes against social convention? You know, what is this thing? And then we've had, you know, a few nonprofits grossly violate the trust of the public with how they're spending some of their money. And now everyone's under this the scrutiny and this pressure to, oh, you know, no one in the nonprofit can charge for anything. That's not true. That's how you feel. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That's not a true statement at all, because a lot of uh, the nonprofit world that we don't really think is associated with nonprofits are things like insurance companies, like Delta Dental's a nonprofit. 
and they paid their CEO $22 million last year. No one's talking about that. I, I always I always get annoyed <laughs> when I see non like nonprofits connected to businesses and their CEOs are making more than what they're giving out sometimes. And you're like, why is like I understand they're doing a hard job. I know running an uh, a, a nonprofit is a lot of work because you do have that admin work that has to be taken care of. But you're supposed mm-hmm. to be doing this out of the kindness of your heart. You know, you're helping build and giving back to a community. So when you're making twenty two million, it's like how much how much of the money coming in is actually going to these individuals in need? Well, it see that's that's a big difference, right? Delta Dental is an insurance company for your teeth. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone that's in Delta Dental pays into it. So it's a difference of how the funds are are brought into because you pay into it to have part of the service and then you still have co-pays. The fact that they're uh, in a nonprofit status is that what's getting you done? Because it's it's a nonprofit business or a for-profit business. So you're saying the people that are earning are there shouldn't be able to afford nice houses, nice things. I don't know. I, I can't I can't decide that. Right? We've got people like uh, Folds of Honor making uh, amazing things, paying for scholarships for people out there. And their executives are very well compensated. They're giving away millions upon millions of dollars every year. You know, what's the line? What's the percentage? You know, what? just because you're in, in a, a charity and you're doing things from the, the good of your heart, does that mean you shouldn't be able to make any money? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But we have this idea, and Dan Polana talks about it again in his, in his TEDx talk, or his TED talk, where we, you know, we came over from England and the Puritans were setting up these nonprofits because you would work hard in your business, but then you would pay a penance. You would pay out of guilt mm-hmm. to a charity to help someone. So if you're in business, you're supposed to feel guilty, but you can make a lot of money. But if you're in nonprofits, you're supposed to be doing out of the kindness of your heart, but not make a living for yourself and your family. So where's the where's the line? I don't know. I don't pretend to know that stuff. I know if people are delivering good services and making a lot of impact, then I mean, does it, how much they make is that, should that even be public knowledge? I don't know. No, it's an interesting talk that I think society needs to have when it comes to nonprofits Mm -hmm. and that, and seeing how, because the world has changed. It's not back in the Puritan where, you know, it was more out of a religious, you know, guilt that you were doing this where, supposed to be separated from religion and state so and business so it is an interesting conversation that needs to have an update with society about the people running the organizations is there going to be a should there be a cap on what what they earn but like a, at least a livable wage so that they their time spent there. <laughs> but then you get into the question that's my about, least favorite that's my least favorite two words livable wage what on earth is a livable wage exactly that's because like, if you're in if you're in Honduras, they an average person makes six thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. If you're in the Philippines, you make forty dollars a month. What is a livable wage? Who decides that? Exactly. No, I, I fully agree with you. Like, <laughs> you start going down these conversations that yeah. society needs to have, and maybe society isn't ready to have those conversations because it's like, no, we we like the way it is right now, and that makes us uncomfortable. You know, like twenty twenty gave us a lot of society uh, topics that have been really uncomfortable so like it's another topic that's uncomfortable but uh, mm-hmm. moving off the philosophical side of <laughs> nonprofit and uh, how much they should earn um, the question I want to know is I asked you what was your favorite failure you had 
and you mentioned it was your physics two. Uh, you failed <laughs> physics two all semester and got a D on the final exam. Now, why is that your favorite failure out of your your so far your life so far? Well, because I, I had no clue what I was doing the whole stinking class, right? I had tutors. I put time, energy, and effort into this thing, and they must have been grading on a curve, and everyone else must have been doing as terribly as I did because I got an F the whole semester. I got a D on the final, and somehow I got a C in the course. Um, maybe it's because they're using different math. See, your face twitched right there, right? <laughs> that was a very interesting how you went from an F to a C. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how this works. But my my the question behind that is I said something about relationships or you know talking your way into or out of things. Um, I went to the professor almost immediately in this class because I didn't I didn't understand. Like physics one, I can visualize it, I can see that. You know, thing on the mountain has, you know, potential energy down here at the bottom. It doesn't have any potential energy because like, right. You know, like I can, I can visualize that yeah. physics too is like the electromagnetic spectrum. And it's all, I, I can't, I can't, if I can't picture it, I can't do, it. I couldn't picture this for nothing. And I went to him and talked to him. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm in this program for the military. Um, this is the degree I'm getting. Um, you know, I don't understand. I've got a tutor. Uh, the, the military had a tutor for me. I had my own personal tutor. Like I didn't get it. You and I was like time into this. And yes, and yes. And I, I sucked the whole time. Um, I, and I was worried. I wouldn't talk to him like every week. I'm like, look, I, I'm doing terrible in your class. I'm not getting it. Like he's just shaking his head. He's like, I know Travis, I, I, I have the grades <laughs> yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah. But I was talking to him and he's like, well, what are you trying to do? It's like, I'm in this program for the Navy and I get a commission at the end of this thing and get the degree. He's like, what's your degree? And I'm like, it's in multidisciplinary studies. I didn't have enough time to go through like a physics or, or an engineering degree or something like that based on how old I was and the requirements for their program. Like I couldn't do anything other than this multidisciplinary studies degree. Um, but the Navy had the requirements. You had to do these leadership classes. You had to do American government and a few other things. But then you had to do Calc 1 and 2 and Physics 1 and 2. Now, Calc 1 and 2, I got Bs in both of those. Again, tutors the whole time. Physics 1, I got an A in. And then Physics 2 just beat the crap out of me. I had no idea what I was doing the whole time. And he's like, well, what does this mean for you? I was like, I, was like, I have to take this class. It's a requirement. I'm like, I'm not an engineer. I'm going to do nothing in this world like but this is a this is something I have to make it through in order for this stuff to happen, and you know, like basically pleading for compassion at this point because there's nothing I can do, um, or nothing I was able to do. And uh, they called me. They said, "Hey, the final grades are in. We want you to come in." And I'm like, I'm like, just sweating. Like I'm driving to <laughs> driving to the university. And I'm, I parked. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, like everything that I've done in my point. I've been in the Navy for like twelve. Or 10 years, well, math, uh, see, math is not my strong suit. 11 years at this point, uh, 11 and a half years. And I go in there and I just like, I don't know what happened. Like, is, is this it? Like, am I failing? Am I going to go back to being an enlisted man? Which is nothing wrong with, but I just, you know, dedicated a lot of my time to this. And he brings me in and he starts talking to me and he's telling me about how he was in ROTC uh, during Vietnam and a few different things. And I'm like, this guy's going to pass me. <laughs> like this guy has decided and he knew weeks ago that he wanted to see the effort, but he knew that he was going to pass me. Now getting in there, I'm like, as I, I was like, you've got me on, on suspense here. You've got my life in your hands. Like what's going on. He's like, he slid a, a, 
a paper across the table and I opened it up and it said C in it. And I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I lost my mind. I drove so fast home because I was going to tell my wife in person. I got a speeding ticket on the way home. <laughs> but uh, you're like, I don't even care. Take the points. I, <laughs> charge me. I don't care. I need to get home to my wife right now. <laughs> I, 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 more math problems, right? I didn't understand that the speed that it was the upper speed limit, not the lower speed limit. I thought you had to go. You know, that was the minimum speed yeah. because it doesn't say on the signs, right? Uh, which of course is a joke. I very much know what a speed limit is, but like, I didn't care. Like I was so happy to pay that fine because uh, <laughs> there's no way I should have passed physics too. No chance at all. <laughs> I love how you, uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, that's, that's an amazing uh, story about a failure because it does lead into a success because it did help you get into the military as a commission officer and that helped mm-hmm. you build where you are now. And it also leads mm-hmm. into the best lesson, which you alluded to earlier, the right words can help you which you going to your professor and talking with him and you provided the right words. You knew Mm -hmm. you, you compelled, you uh, went for his compassion and his understanding without even knowing if he was a military man. And it turned out, boom, you hit the nail on the head. You know, the, the, the most, most of the time, if you are open and honest and explain whatever your position is or your vision is or whatever the thing is, you know, people will believe in you. And when they believe in you, you can get anything accomplished, anything accomplished at all. No, I, I, I fully agree with you. And it, it helps when you start believing in yourself. Like the minute you start believing in yourself and you're believing mm-hmm. in your goals and what you're going for, the more passion comes out and the other people can go, okay, yeah, I feel the passion. I believe this person. He's not just filling me with, or she's not filling me with full of BS, just trying to <laughs> appeal to the compassionate side of me. He oh, this yeah, person yeah. knows what they're doing and they, you showed it off. And I bet he's super proud of you now. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, at one point he asked me, he's like, well, what are the classes are you taking? Like, what else have you taken? I started going through the list of like classes I've taken and he's like, so the only like four technical classes you take are the, are those requirements. I was like, yeah, I had to, why well, the, the, uh, the head of the math department because of my like pretest that place you into a college math. I had been, I, I took, uh, I took trig and physics in high school. I got a D and an F in high school on trig and physics. See, and I didn't go to school for 11 years. I'm in and then I'm, we don't, those are just regular math classes. They're not specialties in our high school in that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we have to learn them anyways. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I did terribly in high school. Like I didn't understand the concepts. I had to take this like placement exam, um, and I didn't do as well as I needed to. I went to the head of the math department. And I'm like, hey, if I like, here's my timeline. This is what I'm trying to do. Like, if I don't get placed in at least, you know, this math here, like I, I can't do this program. And he's like, well, well, tell me more. I'm like, I'm like, look, I, I'm almost thirty. Like I'm dedicating my life to this. I already have a tutor lined up. Like, I know what I need to do to do this. And I didn't, I mean, it's been, you know, over a decade since I touched this stuff, but uh, I can do it. And he believed in me and he said, you know, we're going to start you in the math you need to in order to make this timeline happen. Boom. Um, Again, yeah. just talking to the people, <laughs> sharing your passion, sharing your goals. And you get those people that will be like, yeah, I'm willing to take that risk. And you want to invest in you and see where you, uh, you grow. And bet you all of them are right now going, yes, another success in my book. Yes. <laughs> Those are the teachers I love. I had I had teachers like uh, that in school, so those are the best types of teachers to have, and they're the ones that uh, support you through and through, and make sure that you reach those goals. So, love mm-hmm. love hearing that. Um, what are the, some challenges that?
that nonprofits may have when they're starting, you know, something more of a for business type part of their fundraising, if they will? What are some of the obstacles they hit? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the two biggest ones is that person they see in the mirror every day is their, their first and their largest challenge. Uh, and the second one is just the, the corporate knowledge that you know, nonprofits in general have that keep them from trying new things for whatever reason, their dedication to doing it the hardest way possible. And then um, really the, the person themselves, especially if they're starting something. And I, I pick on military people here for a little bit because we, we spend all this time in the military serving, protecting, you know, working hard. And really it's, it's really 85 to 95% training that we do because we're, we're learning the stuff. We're getting qualified for going through the repetitions. And, you know, fortunately for a, a lot of people, we don't do um, too much. Like I've been in the nuclear command and control world. Luckily I've never had to use any of the things that I've learned. Thankfully. Um, um, I'm thankfully. thankful for that as well. <laughs> Right. And then up until up until uh, 9-11, like the vast majority of people's military careers, you know, through the 80s and 90s were spent in training in the U.S. because there was not major conflicts going on. We had a few. Right. We had Grenada. We had like Bosnia. Um, we had a few things like that that, that popped up. But I mean, but by and large, it was like a large training cycle until we went, you know, from 9-11 forward. I think oh three. I think we really got into the. Uh, the business of being over their boots on ground. The Navy uh, never stands down. The Navy is always doing something, but the Marine Corps, well, not the Marine Corps, the Army and the Air Force spend a lot of time in, in the U.S. And someone's going to be like, "That's Travis, that's not how it is. Look, I'm not the, the grandmaster on all things <laughs> military history, so apologies. But, uh, from you know, your experience, that's what it was. From my experience. Yeah, from my experience, from what I saw. Um, and then you get in the nonprofit world and they forget to spend any time training they forget all the work they did with teams and they feel like they have to do it themselves. And then because you attach the word nonprofit to it, they feel like they can't charge anyone for anything and they can't get themselves paid. I don't know why they feel this way, but they feel like I can't take any money. I have to give completely selflessly. When, when you put yourself in that position and that's your frame of mind going into this thing, that means what it really turns into is you begging for money. And beggars don't make enough money to support a nonprofit to make this impact, to really make the change that they want to see. And so the first thing I talk about with new people is, is what does it look like to get you compensated? And that's not really the first goal, but it has to be part of the calculation because if it's not, then how long is it until you get burned out and you fold up shop and you can no longer keep this thing running? I talked to a gentleman doing great things in the nonprofit world. They've helped over 40,000 people. Uh, he's got volunteers doing all sorts of amazing things. And we scheduled a call, but it had to be after 5 p.m. And this was a little weird for me. I was like, why does it have to be beyond 5 p.m.? Well, it turns out he got out of the military and he went to work a day job. And there's nothing wrong with this, right? But he worked the day job, so he never had time during the day to take calls. So he is spending all of his day working and all of his evenings and all of his weekends trying to get this thing going. And he's done an amazing job, right? He's helped more than 40,000 people. I was like, what would it look like if your full-time job was the nonprofit. taking care of these people in this nonprofit? And immediately, and this happens almost every time, is they start coming up with the reasons why they can't. And I was like, I didn't ask you why you can't. Let's, let's take a second and visualize. What does this look like? If it were differently, if it, you could, 
Like, what would this look like? How many more people would you be able to impact? What would this organization look like? What would it look like in five years or 10 years? Because in five years, if you don't get paid, if you're not doing this full time, I believe you're going to be closing your doors. And he's like, well, I don't see that happening. I was like, well, how much time and energy do you have right now? To be frank with you, you look kind of uh, run down already. And, and I don't say this to be mean or rude, or I say this to, trying to get make sure to they can see that picture. You know, it's hard to read the, the warning label when you're in the box. It really is. Um, but then they start picturing and saying, and they're like, well, what does this look like? And it's like, I, I don't want you to do this regular fundraising cycle. Like no one has the time. It takes too much energy, too much effort. And vast majority of the time, there's not a lot of payoff. And there's some people listening to that, like, well, I've been doing galas for years and we do million dollar galas and all that stuff. I'm like, great. But most people are not. When they're putting together events, they're fighting really hard to make sure they make up this much money they put in. They're, they're trying to make that and hoping to make something over that. And that's not a place you want to be. You know, what would it look like if you could automate some of these things to bring in regular recurring donations each and every month and you could start building on that what would that look like if you had five grand a month 10 grand a month 50 grand a month coming in or more how would that change everything and then they get a smile on their face and they start telling me all the great things that they would be doing i like i can't even be i can't even i couldn't picture this last week because i was so in the slog of all the things that had to be done and all the things that had yet to do and all the tasks it, it turns into not helping people especially if you're the founder, it turns into all these to-do lists of all these things you have to do, all these people you have to kind of, all these plates you got to keep spinning because you don't have enough money coming in. And when you don't have enough money coming in, the sole focus turns into getting enough money in to do this stuff. And you're just hoping not to have enough volunteer turnover, enough staff turnover until that money comes in and you can actually create something sustainable. And you know, once they start seeing the picture, and like, what would it be like if you had evenings with your family again? How would your kids' lives change? And you see the relief. You see the shoulders go back. The jaw's not clenched anymore. The fists are not clenched anymore. And they relax and they can start picturing it. And then, you know, we come in and do an analysis and see where it is we can help. And what, what do they have? You know, they have social media followers. They have an email list. Do they have business connections? What do they have that they can leverage in a different way? to make it to where they can actually get their vision going. And oh, let me tell you, lives change, families change, impact going up exponentially because you can actually focus on what it is that you're trying to do. If you're trying to learn a new skill right now, Phil, but you had a 40 hour work week and you had, you know, you had to help the kids after school and you could really only dedicate 10 hours ish, 10 to 15 hours a month. How long would it take you to learn that new skill? Years. It took me six years. years nearly to learn how to run a podcast agency because I was doing it part-time from my first show -time. up to last year when I was deciding, you know what, F this, I'm going to go full bore into it and start learning mm -hmm. from entrepreneurs and then launched it uh, in January and we're strolling through, I already got four clients. So I'm like, all right, let's move on to get the next four and five, you know, getting the first yeah. one is the hardest thing, getting your first, you know, <laughs> client, yep. but I, yep. it's like getting your first recurring monthly donor. I guess it's the hardest thing. And then all of a sudden they just come out of the woodworks going, Oh, well, yeah, uh -huh. sure, I'll help you. And you're like, what's going on? How did you, 
how did your growth change when you finally dedicated your full time to it? Oh, it was, it's exponential. Like it's, it's like blink and all of a sudden there's another client in the door or another potential client in the door, getting my name out there mm -hmm. by being on the podcast. Oh, and yeah. All that. So yeah, yeah, when you're, you switch the mindset, it, it's exponential. Life just switches and you start thinking of different ways of doing stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're feasting all day long and you're working your primary job and then you've got basically the leftovers to try to make something out of that. And it's not till you can put your full focus behind it that you actually start seeing the real growth. There's a story I heard that, um, you know, a guy had been working really hard for 17 years and he got interviewed by the media and, you know, in the last two years there, like it really took off. And they said, wow, I mean, this is such an amazing overnight success. And the person being interviewed, the guy that did the work, he's like, overnight success. I've been working my tail off for 17 years. What do you mean overnight success? And he you know, went to his buddy and he's like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> like, can you believe this person? He's like, well, I could kind of see why she would say that, you know, and a little mini blow up and like, you don't know what you're talking about. And it comes back a couple of days later. And he's like, you know, really, I think I see it because I spent just a couple hours here and a couple hours there really for 15 years trying to get the bills paid. But then once the bills got paid, I was able to put my full focus in the last two years, right? 15 years is almost like this, just little blips. Yeah. And the last two years just took off exponentially. And I know we've said that word a bunch of times, but it's true. When you finally get to put your full focus behind it, it's amazing. I've got um, more props, right? <laughs> Ooh, this is a Rubik's Cube, right? This thing is mind-blowing for so many people. And the reason it is is because they go and they try it. And they don't get any advice. They don't read any books. They don't listen to any great podcasts like, you know, feel better in the podcast mode. Like, you know, they're not doing this stuff. And they, they, they look at this thing and it's this big confusing thing. And they're, you know, they might get one side, one color, but they don't know how it's supposed to work. And they fiddle with it and they fiddle with it and they fiddle with it. If and you're nothing just going like, to do it in like 30 seconds, I'm, I'm going to be more impressed. And obviously you're going to do that and impress us all. Well, if I focus on it, I can get it done in about a minute. Um, but it wasn't always like this, right? It wasn't always this way. It wasn't until I sat down and took the time and had someone teach me how to do this thing. I was in the same spot. I was like, you know, how does this happen? How do you put something like this together? I didn't know. And I didn't know. And I didn't know. And I finally took a couple of days and a friend explained it to me. And I understood what he was saying. I didn't get it. You know, I didn't get it, get it, but I understood the words he was using. And then it wasn't too much later with practice with some actual dedicated focus on this thing that I could get it figured out and where it wasn't a problem anymore. And now I can do, you know, that's like what, two layers right there, yeah, just sitting here chatting with so you. People who aren't watching the video of this, which comes out later, he's already gotten it 80% done. And probably with by the end of this interview, it will be, never mind, it's, it's going to be done shortly, um, <laughs> which is always it's, it's done it's done right now right yeah, it's he just so, finished it and i uh all colors all no magic throwing it in the air like those magicians but through dedication he did it it it's you you have that the interest 
and you start something, right? And then you get frustrated with it and you seek answers or you give up. I, th I think failure really, I had a hard time answering your questionnaire because like, I don't feel like I've had a lot of failures um, because I didn't give up. There was things that I didn't do, right? Like physics, I sucked at the entire time. <laughs> physics too, I didn't get it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't give up. So I don't, even though I got Fs the whole time, I got a D in the final and somehow got a C, I got a passing grade. Like, I don't feel like it was a failure. So it was really hard to answer that question. Because I initially, like, I booked your podcast. I was on the phone. I was like this. And I looked at the questionnaire. I was like, well, what the crap, Phil? Like, I don't have these answers on tap. So like, <laughs> that, that's, that's generally why most of the, most of my answers, they, but it, every answer is something really interesting to me because I don't define what a success is. I don't define what a failure is. And I had a uh, life coach on and she goes, I don't look at them as failures. I look at them as lessons because everything yeah. like, what is them like, what lesson did you learn? What, what was the criteria that you got from this lesson that mm -hmm. event in your life, you know, that may have knocked you down or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, but I don't know what a success is. I'm like, success for me is different for you. Like success for me is, you know, having 10 clients and I'm making 10 K a month. That's my success. I'm happy at this current moment in five years, my success is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Oh, and absolutely. So it's exactly like what you said. you you didn't have the failures because you didn't look at them as failures, you know? This cube, you know, vexed me for. It still vexed me. So, <laughs> like the first 20, 26 years of my life, it was a complete mystery. And someone sat me down and walked me through it, and they talked me through it, and it started to make a little bit more sense. It wasn't a clear picture yet. And then I wrote down some of the formulas, right? Because behind everything that you can do, there's formulas that, when followed, can get you to the right answer, to the right goal, to the right success. And after uh, he taught me, he was still took him a little bit of time to do it. It was still taking him between five and eight minutes. Um, and I'm kind of competitive. So once he taught me, I was like, you know what? I'm going to beat this guy. And I focused really for like two weeks. And I memorized all the steps. And I got it to where I beat him in a, like a head-to-head -head competition. Um, and then I didn't do a whole lot with it. And a little while later, a couple months after that, like I learned how to do the moves on different directions and a few other little tweaks. And now I can frequently do it in under a minute. And this isn't like me tooting my horn. It like, it has no real value, right? It's just a stupid you puzzle. Into the, the competition world of speed cubing. Right, right. But in speed cubing, I'm nowhere near qualifying for this thing. But I've got 99% of the population beat. of the world beat. Probably 99.5%. I got over 7 billion people. I can whoop their tail <laughs> in a Rubik's Cube. But it doesn't matter. It's just a stupid puzzle cube. And Because once you learn the secret, it's no longer amazing. Just like once, <laughs> once you, Exactly. Once you learn what it takes to do the thing, it's no longer hard. When I look at all the things that I've, I've done in my life, and we didn't, we didn't touch this at all, but just the quick 15 second version of my childhood, 36 moves, 12 schools, six States, five foster homes and surviving two murder attempts before graduating high school at 17. Jesus. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a book right there. <laughs> that's a book right there. I could write just that on one page and people pay me hundreds of dollars for that one page. Um, 
and then the military and then going to college, getting my commission, getting my master's degree. I just applied for retirement. We got a successful podcast. host. I've got a wonderful family about ready to hit 20 years officially uh, marriage. Yeah. Uh, actually in eight days, it'll be 20 years officially. Um, my daughter's graduated high school. Like there's all these things that I've done and they were all impossible until I started and did them, you know, boot camp. I didn't know what the heck I was getting myself into. Uh, and then once I got past it, I was like, oh, well, that's okay. You know, my bachelor's degree was impossible until it was done. Going to flight school and getting the wings that are above my head were impossible until I got it done. Going to seer school and, you know, being chased around the mountain and interrogated and beat on, like, it was impossible until I did it. Masters seemed like, like it was something I would never attain until I've got it hanging on my wall back here. Yeah, just you you had the success the blueprint from your previous successes that you had and you just kept building on that blueprint that that template of success and you just modified it for each event in your life mm-hmm. which is the hardest part is all always believing yourself in enough to take the first step because there's no reason that I should be where I am by all the paperwork and all the metrics and all the studies with just being in foster care, just that alone, society would be okay if I didn't do anything with my life. They would be like, oh, yeah, well, he was a foster kid. So what's really inspiring, you're the uh, second guest I've had that has got, had a tram, not a, I wouldn't say traumatic childhood, but had a very unusual upbringing because they're of foster care and that. And from season three, actually, uh, Richard Walsh, he created a, pretty much an empire for investment advising. And he has his master diver. He's competed mm-hmm. in the uh, world championships for, I believe, judo or martial arts. And this is a guy who, like you, came from foster care. And like society mm-hmm. would have been okay. Oh, he's just another foster care. But he was like, nah, I believe in myself and had the belief from certain people in his life to keep pushing and being able to reach these incredible uh, events in his life, just like you have. It's it's interesting because we've talked, we've mentioned belief a few times. When you look at what we, what we do as people, it always follows the same pipeline. There's a little bit of, of discussion on what order this is, but it's always belief first and it's always actions last, but in between it's thoughts and feelings or feelings and thoughts, whichever order those end up turning into. If you don't like your actions, you have to change the feelings or thoughts behind them. And when you get down to the base of it, you're going to find that you're acting the way because you believe a certain way. And if you don't believe in yourself, you will never take, you'll never have the right thoughts and the right feelings to take the right actions because you don't believe in yourself, right? So all the actions you take are going to show the world that you don't believe in yourself the interactions you have with people, the thoughts you have about yourself, the feelings that you have about yourself are always in alignment, always. And if you don't take the time to change your actions, to back up and change your thoughts and your feelings, and then to go back and figure out what your core beliefs are about this thing and decide if they are correct or not in order to change what you're doing. Because so many times people are victims of things, right? I was the victim of moving 36 times before graduating high school. I was the victim of being in foster care and a whole slew of other things that we just won't get into. And I didn't have the choice to be the victim. 
you know, the thing happened. What I did have the choice was to seek help for the trauma, to seek out something new, to decide that I wasn't who they said I was. I made the decision to believe or not believe the things that were being shown to me. When someone's like, yeah, this is how you do it. This is how it is. And, and why are we doing it this way? They think you're questioning them. You're just questioning the process. And they say something like, well, it's my way or the highway. And then you come to discover that there's many different ways to do that thing. And that person was just small-minded or not open to a discussion or didn't have the, the care for you to explain why they got to there. And you see that in politics a lot. And I'm not jumping into a political discussion, <laughs> right? I'm not doing that. But you, you see that people either point at themselves like, hey, there's something I can do better. Or they point at someone else that says they're the reason I'm not successful that I'm not doing better in life, whatever that looks like, whatever group that is, whatever side of the political spectrum on, and you can find people in all sorts of political spectrum that are saying, woe is me. Mm -hmm. It's because of that group or that person or that thing. That is the reason that I'm where I am. Instead of saying, you know what? I can move past this. I can move forward. This we were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the journey of entrepreneurship and what that looks like. You know, you, you get, something you you start something you run your first roadblock you seek mentorship you find out the blueprint really when you hit that first roadblock you decide that if you're going to take on this challenge and you know you're going to overcome it or you're like oh god's just closing a door for me or whatever i guess i should take a different path or you quit mm -hmm. right that tells you who you are and that tells you the person you're going to be and you get to decide on everything that you come across what are you going to do what it takes to get through it? Are you willing to rise to that challenge? Are you willing to go seek uh, help for your mental health and your trauma? Are you willing to invest in yourself to be a smarter entrepreneur or a better nonprofit leader? Are you willing to do what it takes in order to get to your version of success? We so many times we forget that the mountain that we're climbing, the vision, uh, your goal, your, your thing, your vision is at the top. All your little goals are steps on the way up there. And all the winds sweeping around the mountain are the different strategies you're going to do. And they're going to change over time in order to get you to this goal, to get you this step, to get you to this base camp. And it's going to take all these different changes before you ever reach your vision. But so many people, when a strategy doesn't work, they say, oh, well, my vision was just wrong. And they try to change their vision. Don't change your vision. Change your strategy. When If you've got a team and you're implementing something like, hey, this is what we're going to try. This is what we expect the results to be. But since we're trying it, there's a chance that it's not going to work. So I, we need your feedback along the way because this strategy, although we think it's the best one at the time, is probably not the one that's going to make it to our vision. So give us the feedback. Help us get some input. And let's see if we how soon it's going to be before we tweak this thing. I love and it. then people are going to jump in. They're going to buy in and they're going to be happy to say, hey, I know we're trying this thing, boss, but hey, we run into something over here. And this doesn't this is like a no go criteria. We need to tweak it. Cool. What's your idea for adjusting this? What's your idea for changing? Bam, you've got your buy in. They know up front that the strategy probably isn't going to get there all the way to the vision, but they're going to give it a shot and tweak along the way. And before you know it, everyone's bought into the vision. Everyone's willing to do and tweak and adjust whatever it takes to get there. I love it. No, it's it's the truth. Like, it's 
there's multiple ways up a mountain. There's not that just one one direct route. You can something looks blocked, go around it, try something else. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Look at what other people have done. Try and see what works from theirs and move up the mountain. And I, I commend that. That I'm I, I literally put it down. That's going to be a full clip. I'm going to put at the beginning of the episode just to tease people because it's so mm-hmm. so amazing. Um. <clears throat> we're gonna we're coming up near the end of the episode and I'm thankful for you taking the time to talk to us. Two two final questions. Uh what is your ultimate goal in life? Snap those fingers, accomplish everything. <laughs> what is that big thing that you wanted? What's the mountaintop for you right now? The the mountaintop for me is uh to set the table here a little bit. I'm tired of being called the exception. My experience of getting through life and making it to where I am. I, I hate being called the exception. My goal is to make this the rule for anyone struggling, anyone that's experienced everything, everyone has their trauma. Uh, I don't want to be the rule. I don't, excuse me, I don't want to be the exception. I want to be the rule. I want to create the formula that's going to get everybody through their next thing, through their next whatever it is, to get everything they can out of education, get whatever they can out of life, to be able to build the life that you want to build. We too often, you know, we just accept what people tell us. We don't challenge what they're telling us and they're saying, oh, well, you can't be an astronaut or whatever. That may or may not be true, right? But if you believe it, it is true. If, if you Lance accept. Fans can be an astronaut. Anybody can be an astronaut. You just now, <laughs> you, you now need a certain amount of money to get to it. So now you know your goal. It, it, it is too many people accept the limitations other people put on them. There's so much research behind this. They've had, you know, Johns Hopkins and Harvard and all these universities of research. At what point of intervention in a child's life makes the most difference? They've looked at, you know, high schoolers, they've looked at middle schoolers, preteen before they get in with the wrong crowd. They've looked at elementary school. What section of people do you think has the, best impact the best time for intervention any idea i would i want to say in elementary school because that's when their belief is the strongest they don't they haven't been crushed if you will by society and external (laughs) forces they don't have their own filter yet there's that too from from zero to seven so for school age kids that's about k through two they don't have uh, discernment essentially meaning that they just kind of accept everything that's presented to them because they don't know any better. And after seven years on this planet, they start to kind of figure it out and be like, mm, you full of crap. Oh yeah. Don't, you know, I know you're saying this, but I don't really believe you. Like up until seven, think about, think about kids. They just take it on. So if you're calling your kids, Oh, you're so crazy. They're believing they hear the word crazy. They don't understand sarcasm. They don't understand that you're playing with them. You just told them, that they're crazy and they will believe it and they will use that as their base operating principle until they take and go through the struggle to learn otherwise. But if you tell them that they're amazing, if you can tell them that any thought they have in their head, they can create into reality. Every space shuttle that's been designed was one somebody's thought that they went, went through the math and went through the design phase and went through the engineering and the testing to create the thing, Right. Everything starts up here and it starts with belief in themselves. 
I love it. Um, I, I'm flabbergasted. This whole conversation has been an amazing masterclass and just teaching me more about how to believe in myself and take it to the next level. And hopefully my audience has as well. And I do want to see your exception become the rule for society. Like I want to see more entrepreneurs. I want to see more people believing in themselves saying that, no, this is not what I'm aligned to for my life. I can be whatever I want. I can become an astronaut. I can become the next Gary Vee. I can become the next Warren Buffett. I can become the next Travis nonprofit architect. And I love it. I love your message. I'm so glad you're, you're a guest on the show. I'm going to give you the last five minutes here to let everybody know where they can find you online through social media and that, and uh, then we'll close out the episode. So the floor is yours, mm. sir. Hey, I appreciate it, Phil. Hey, if you're looking for me, you want to connect with me, you want to do whatever with me, any social media, search Nonprofit Architect, you're going to find me. If you want to listen to the show, Nonprofit Architect Podcast, put it into Google, Nonprofit Architect Podcast. You're going to find them on the first three and a half pages of Google, and I'm on like 50 stinking channels. I'm on everything from iHeartRadio, Pandora, Apple, to all these weird ones you've never heard of, like Ghana, Geo, Savan, and Listen Notes, and whatever else may have you. But if you're out there trying to find your voice, I would love to talk to you about the power of podcasting and what it can do for you. Podcasting, I know Phil will agree, revolutionized the way I look at life. It's like taking a masterclass with each and every guest. I've got the benefit of interviewing Asha Curran, the founder and CEO of Giving Tuesday. If you're not familiar with what they do, they brought in two point. Four seven billion dollars December 1st, 2020. I got to interview Steve Sims, the author of Blue Fishing and the host of Sims Distillery, an amazing man and a newly minted American citizen. And here in a couple of weeks, I'll get the privilege of interviewing Bob Berg, who wrote the Go-Giver series. There's no reason I should be able to do these things, but it all starts right here in believing in yourself. No one's coming to save you. It's all on you make the best decisions you can and reach out if you have questions. Thanks so much. Oh my God. Travis, thank you for being an amazing guest. Of course, his links will be in the show notes down below. Head up to nonprofitarchitect.org and you can connect with him and his organization to help you take your organization, your charity to the next level. Um, Travis, the final question really, and this is more selfish for me, but um, cause I'm a voracious bookie, uh, reader. I want to know what is a book you suggest people either jumping into the world of nonprofit or jumping into entrepreneurship should, should be, uh, uh, on their list of books to read. Yeah, absolutely. You have got to read unleash your humble alpha by Stephen Kuhn and Lane Ballone. I know them both personally. I've interviewed them both on my show. I've even been to Stephen's house in Budapest. This is how to know who you are and how to live without labels. Uh, here next year, I've applied for retirement. I'm no longer going to be a Navy lieutenant. I'm just going to be Travis again. Who am I without that title? I already know the answer. Do you know who you are without any titles or labels? Ooh, I love it. And that is a great great uh, line to finish on Travis again thank you so much for being a guest everybody um, like I say every episode at the end make sure to invest in yourself 
Hey, I want to thank you so much for listening to this awesome episode. Um, I do have a small favor to ask you. If you could go over to Apple Podcasts, if you're using Apple Podcasts, go over and just leave us a five-star review just to let us know what you liked about the episodes, what you're liking about the season, and maybe some upcoming guests you'd love to see on the show. So again, just go over to Apple Podcasts, search Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast, and then leave us a five-star review. It would mean so much to us. I thank you for listening and we will see you in the next episode.